Abun de Boschmaya Nitkadashma Te te malkuta Nehwe sebiana Aikana de Boschmaya Af baraha Hablan lachma de sunkanan yaumana Washbuklan haubain Waktahain Ai Kanadaf Khan Shpokan Habain Ula Dahlan Nesiuna Ela Batsan Ming Bisha Amen. Our One Absolute Eternal Being of which we are born forth from the realm of the all and the only. I am empty within the awe of your presence and the purity of your name. Empower my creative beingness through your expansion from the ever-present realm as I realize our strength and virtue as one. On the manifest earth as in the unmanifest realm, Provide the nourishment of your insight and realization through me and in every present moment. Release my hidden past as I cancel my past concerns with others. Do not let me lose my true self in forgetfulness, but wholly release me from the errors of my perception. For thy realm is the absolute, the all, and the only and our strength of virtue and magnificence. From cosmic gathering to cosmic gathering, from age to age, may these be the rooted earth from which all of my actions flow. Amen. Holy Spirit within me, living in wholeness, moving in joy and love, I surrender to your will. Bring the radiance of your light into my heart and mind. Merge with me to manifest your will upon the earth. Make me a conduit of your infinite knowledge. Amen. Hello and welcome back to the God-Led Mystics podcast. I am your guide and host, Reverend Rose, and in this week's episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing my friend and student, Elle, who is a powerful earth magician. In today's episode, we really journey through what it was like to reconnect to God through communion with nature, as well as returning into the Holy Mother of her ancestors, the Witch of the Woods. I love this conversation because we talk at length of the symbolism and folklore surrounding the Witch of the Woods and just really the roots of religion, which is shamanism. I also love this conversation because we go at length talking about just, you know, how this Holy Mother and the gifts that she carries has been passed down within her family lines. And I think this is really important because um, many of us receive a lot of the gifts and the wisdoms and just the gold from our ancestry, but we often relate our ancestors to pain or suffering. 
So to reclaim the gold of our lineage and the original deities of our, our ancestors is such a fascinating and wonderful thing to accomplish in our lifetime because ultimately we are re-threading the hoop of our ancestors in a time where we have been ripped apart in our culture um, and our sacred lands and really divorced from the original earth-based practices of our ancestors to merge back into the divinities and the practices that our ancestors carried is such a powerful way for us to really reclaim what was attempted to be destroyed by colonialism. So I hope you enjoy today's episode and really just dive deep into your own ancestral remembrance. If you enjoy this episode, if you enjoyed my podcast, if I have you here on Substack, then please remember to subscribe um, to be the first one to know when new episodes are live. We come out every Friday. Uh, and I just hope you enjoy and get such deep remembrance as you listen to the God Led Mystics podcast. Without further ado, here is Elle. Hello and welcome, Al. It's so nice to have you. It's so good to be here. I'm so excited. I'm so glad. I would love if you could introduce yourself to everyone and, of course, answer the million-dollar question, what does God mean to you? Well, I'm Elle. I also go by Aurelia. Um, and I work a lot with just intuitive Reiki, I guess for lack of a better way to describe it. I hesitated when I said Reiki because I just do a lot of intuitive like earth work, I guess, with like earth energy and just connecting to the earth and, a, and grounding practices. Um, and I don't really know how else to describe myself and what I do. So I'm going to leave it at that right now. And what does God mean to me is a small question. It sounds like small, like five words, but oh my gosh, I can just feel the expanses within me and I'm trying to put words to them. <laughs> Take your time. So... I I feel like I'm going to start with a, a short story because everything starts with a story. Um, when I was a little kid and I was first introduced to the concept of God, uh, it was at church. And I remember growing up with this idea that there's like in a similar vein to Santa Claus, like there's this big guy just up there watching you. Uh, but I had a theory that we were all inside this cardboard box on his kitchen table. Um, and similar to how humans have sea monkeys, God had this little project on his table that he checked out all the time and that he thought was really cool. And he showed off to all his friends. Um, 
And that's how I coexisted with the concept of like other people's ideas of God. And like each one of those perspectives is one of the friends that God invites over to his house. Um, And they all kind of take care of us together. But I have a very specific relationship with my perception of this guy up there taking care of us. Um, And from there, like this was all like up through probably middle school, my very understand basic understanding metaphor that I used. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't until recently I really realized that I committed to the bit a little too hard and I had to rewind and be like, what do I actually think God is? Mm -hmm. Um, And what is my relationship with them as an adult now, like outside of this metaphor? Um, And it really is connecting to the earth and the relationship that I have with that energy is how I perceive God, the conversation that I have with it and the love between like me and that energy, whether it's personified in different ways through, I guess not personified, but it's solidified in like the earth, the soil, the plants, um, the sun, all of the natural parts of the world that I experience. Um, That's what God is to me in its largest sense, that energy between all of those things and myself And in its smallest sense, any of those pieces individually, all of those at the same time. What a beautiful explanation. Thank you for that. Yeah. So fascinating um, because, you know, in Egyptian creation myth, God is actually Geb, which is personified by the male aspect or the masculine. And so I find it to be just fascinating. As you talk about that, I really kind of see his face in my mind and think about just how, you know, our relationship to earth is really a mirror to everything that we really work with when it comes to God. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's been this, you know, massive schism between our consciousness and the earth. And so, uh, you know, before the rise of, you know, we'll say um, colonization or patriarchy, whatever is the appropriate term there, you know, we recognized this sacred relationship that we held with the earth and we saw how the earth really revealed to us the cyclical nature that is God and the shifts of our own internal matrix. Um, and so I really mm. love when we spend time returning back to the earth because it's, it's probably one of the simplest and easiest ways for us to really return to God because we're interacting with something that we can see. And sometimes I feel like, you know, our concept of God gets skewed by this idea of like, oh, I can't see it. And so mm-hmm. <laughs> the 
beauty of working <laughs> with the earth is that it works with all elements, right? Like we have the sun, the moon, the stars, and we can actually recognize like, you know, we can look outside and be like, oh my goodness, the leaves are falling, right? Because we're, we're, we're here now on this precipice of fall. And mm -hmm. so we can look outside and begin to recognize that the leaves are dropping and that the leaves are changing color. And, oh, man, that means that we have stock butter now or make sure, <laughs> you know, that we have food in the fridge that's going to keep us sustained for winter. We, we're now recognizing it. And, you know, it really allows us to go back into this, like, um, non-linear uh, relationship to the call of God through this subtle body wisdom. Um, so I think that is a beautiful place to really uh, meet God. Um, and again, I, I think maybe I'm just thinking a lot about the comic pantheon because of course, like their whole pantheon was set up on nature. The Necheru is basically nature mm -hmm. in English. So um I feel like what is divine other than you know what we experience moving through us at all times. Yeah, I remember really wrestling with the idea <sighs> growing up that I couldn't feel God at church. And I was really upset about that fact. I was like, why are we here? Like the the person that this party is for it hasn't even attended this party like what is up with that like I remember <laughs> that emotion being really present for me at church um yeah but I was always outside and that's where I felt all of those feelings that you're supposed to feel at church right um, yeah, isn't that fascinating that's where it started for me yeah um it's so interesting because it feels a lot like the church doesn't actually give you experiential relationships to God, only like a mental relationship. So it's like, read your Bible, um, pray to God, and that's it. But I find, you know, that when there is singing and song and worship, um, in my Christian church, we did a lot of, we did a lot of singing. And I felt, you know, God moved through me as I sang songs. Um, but, yeah, I can uh, go ahead. Oh, just, I can relate to that. Yeah. I don't yeah. know, you know, like, oh, so, so, so sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Oh, no, it's okay. I feel like I, I was just trying to fill the space. You're good. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> it's, it's just kind of funny because like, you know, I experienced that. Of course, you know my story, but you know, I was raised in Christian school. And so we had a chapel every Friday. And, you know, we started every morning with prayers. Um, and when we had chapel, we did like half of chapel with singing. And we had this huge auditorium and it was, oh my goodness, brilliant and beautiful. And like my childhood just sparkles around that. Um, but as an adult, I tried to go to church and I never found a church that ever could re-emulate that sacred song that I experienced in my childhood. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel in part that it was the true relationship between 
you know, the pastor and, you know, his experience of leading these children in sacred worship. And maybe that sounds kind of funny to say, but um, Mm -hmm. I knew his daughter very well. And I would spend weekends at his house. And he's actually a very godly man. He is like one of the, I don't want to say few, but he's one of the, um, many people that I can recognize like God moving through, not that I can't recognize God moving through someone on the street, but it felt like he had actually devoted himself to doing the sacred service versus mm-hmm. some of the pastors and preachers I see out in the world just kind of seem like they're doing a half job. I don't know how to explain that. Maybe that sounds horribly rude, but... <laughs> I understand I the found you're going for though absolutely yeah. and how oh my goodness words and how um, like most the most real way to experience God not maybe not the most real way um, but a very real way to experience God is through others and noticing when it's coming through you and through others. Mm. Yes. I didn't mean to superlative it quite as much as I did, but yes, it's a very tangible way of experiencing God as well. Mm -hmm. Is that connection that happens in that moment. Right. Yeah. I could definitely agree to that. And I think, again, when we go back to this concept of working with the earth, like that's where we can really see it again, because we can see the life force that is moving through. It's like so incredible to, you know, watch a seed sprout. Um, I find it to be the most fascinating thing because you can wake up in the morning and here's a seed sprout. And then by the next day, two leaves are there. You're like, what? what? What is this quantum leap that is happening here? And to, you know, imagine the cellular knowledge and wisdom that really exists within that seed to know exactly what to do. It's so fascinating to me when I like actually sit around and think about it. Mm. Which is, you know, probably why shamanism was like the first form of relationship to God, because, right, these like shamans were recognizing the cosmic brilliance that existed in um, everything around them. And they knew that they didn't have to necessarily know everything, but that they Mm -hmm. could actually commune with the Holy Spirit of the world around them. And what are we all other than the sacred Holy Spirit that is resonating within um, our cells and our tissues? There's no difference between that and the plants and the animals and, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Well, and in a lot of those cultures that had shamans as a like spiritual leader, the community itself also, like that was their truth. Yeah. Like the environment around them and everything that they interacted with throughout their lives had its own energy and it was all a relationship between yourself and that energy yeah um and that was an enormous like it's an enormous shift that between that and like what a lot of us are kind of experiencing today with how we're just like but we're separate from that like Mm -hmm. it's all inanimate things 
that are just objects and they're void of their own like energy. Yeah. Um, and that it's, it's almost isolating to live in that kind of energy. And a large part of what I find very grounding about and embodying about my relationship with like the earth and those energies and recognizing that everything else has an energy is that like, even when you're like alone, Mm -hmm. it's not like empty around you. The earth itself is full. Yeah. And there's, there's like a piece that I get from that. Mm -hmm. So beautiful. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. All those multidimensional layers that are living on top of each other. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wonder I wonder what it would look like if we could close our eyes and open, you know, fully open that third eye wisdom and just see like the thousands of beings that are constantly around us. <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm having like deja vu. I feel like we've had this conversation already. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Wild. So fascinating. Um, so interesting. I feel like I've dreamt of this moment before. Ah, so thank you for that so um i would love to uh journey with you um in your story i want to go deeper because your holy grandmother is fascinating (laughs) and terrifying to me and i'm ever since oh my gosh yeah i left that whole facet (laughs) out of my who am i and what do i do Um, i figured we'd get back to it but yeah (laughs) Um, I guess she wasn't ready to uh, be part of the conversation yet. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, it's so fascinating because ever since you've been in my life and you've, you know, kind of told me who you work with, I see her now. It's like, she just shows up and I'm like, Oh, Hey. (laughs) (laughs) And she terrifies me and intrigues me all in one. So I'll let you have your grand reveal. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I wouldn't ever describe her as a deity, even though there are people out there who have deified her in the new age. But I work and I learn from Baba Yaga. And she is an, I was going to say Eastern European, but it goes further back to like just Slavic folklore. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is colloquially known as, um, like grandmother, witch or the witch of the woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've in a lot of, so it's hard for me to remember the strict differences between what I've read, like historically and anthropologically, mm-hmm. um, versus like what I've learned from her because I kind of grew up with this energy in my life and these stories that like would come to me and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not going to claim that everything I say is a universal experience about how other people understand Baba Yaga. I know she's Mm -hmm. very popular in Russian folklore and Ukrainian folklore. Um, I know her from like a Polish side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, reintroduced deeply into like researching and learning about her when I started to work 
closer with like ancestry work. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I've learned from some sources and the stories I've read is she was at one point possibly revered as um, a triple goddess or like Mm -hmm. the taker of the, the um, caretaker of the portal between life and death. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot with the tree of life and her guarding the tree of life in her forest and her areas and lands and um, really being a beacon of almost a transportation (laughs) of transformation. I feel like it's both. (laughs) It is both, but you know, Mm -hmm. she, a lot of her stories focus around this scary witch who lives in her hut on chicken legs Mm-hmm. protected by a bone fence mm-hmm. with a lock made out of a skull and how you have to like pay the price to enter her yard and unlocking the lock and people who approach her in stories are either helped through some massive like life event or she eats them like either you're worthy and you're strong and you step into your own and you're confident in your own decisions and your own abilities you're cunning you're smart Mm -hmm. or you just you don't hack it and it eats you alive Mm -hmm. and this metaphor really being a lot of the ways that she initiates the people that she comes across, mm. um, that she, like, cause she decides whether or not she wants to help you and work with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lo- everyone that I've worked with, um, through my energy work and my coaching, um, she always pops in at least for a little bit and is like, mm-hmm. if they're committed to doing this work, here is my question for them. And then your job is to like wrestle with her question <laughs> and get to wherever you need to go on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And just the power of sitting within yourself. Mm-hmm. And she wouldn't be the scary old witch who lives in the woods and helps the heroes through their journey if she wasn't absolutely certain that she could take care of herself, that she had like the confidence in herself to do that. And all of the facets of her and being comfortable in your own company, being comfortable in the dark parts of you, in the light parts of you and all of that. Um, And then also the practical parts of her story where she um she's a story to keep children out of the woods when they're young Mm -hmm. and like don't know the dangers of the woods yet Mm -hmm. so as her story has progressed it's become a lot of those like folk tales of like things that go bump in the night Mm -hmm. yeah Um, that makes sense but it's definitely like 
she's not going to take your shit. Right. You know, as you describe her story, all I hear is like a deep shamanic lore, you know, um, bones being really protective, chicken feet being, you know, extremely protective. This idea mm-hmm. of sacrifice, right? You have to give something to her. Um, and I think people miss that a lot because um, that that metaphor and mythology is very active in our daily life, and, and yet we don't recognize it. So the easiest way that I could describe that, right, is like, say, you know, you want to write a book, you're going to have to sacrifice your time to write that book. Mm-hmm. There's always this give and take. It's, it's the... Um, you know, it's a sacred law for it's the sacred law of exchange to give something in order to uh, receive something. And so it's like, if you want to heal, you have to give up what makes you sick. If you want yeah. to transform, you have to give up the beliefs um, that have kept you in this idea. And so I could see then how she would um more or less banish you in a sense or eat you i guess that's how you described it eat you to me in all of the stories she's it's definitely like she's the one who comes and steals the babies (laughs) (laughs) that sounds kind of scary yeah i mean she's definitely not like i almost i know this is a wild statement but I feel like I'm if you want it. someone more mild, then you work with like Hecate. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, something that you also say right there is like, she's the one that steals the baby. Um, there's a persistent myth in our world that, um, you know, miscarriage or stillbirth or postpartum uh, death is random. And this is not to in any way um, dishonor or disrespect the grieving process of any mother and father that have gone through this. But Mm -hmm. some babies are simply not viable for life at this time. And so, like, when you say that to me, I imagine that what she's doing is she's returning them back unto the tree of life to be re-prepared mm-hmm. for their next journey. And we live in a world that really runs away from those ideas and those beliefs, and, and we we don't confront death. Um, in my, you know, in my work of birth work, I've actually worked with more women that have experienced stillbirth and miscarriage over you know having live babies and Mm -hmm. um i think that's really important because uh, i have a a wonderful friend that i've been working with and in meditation she's been told you know some babies are just not ready for life and this idea of keep a child alive at all costs can actually come at the detriment of their soul which again sounds like a Mm -hmm. huge a statement to say out loud, but we have forgotten the reasons why people die or people pass on and have switched our ideology to this, you know, paradigm where we keep them alive at all costs. Um, and I, I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but I just watched <laughs> this movie um, called Love at First Sight. Sounds cheesy when you hear it, but it's actually a story about fate. And, you know, this woman, so it's about this couple that, you know, meets on this, this plane, and they're going to the same place. And I won't tell you the whole story, but 
um, the male antagonist mother or the the um, the the mother of you know one of the characters in the story is dying of breast cancer and he says mom you know like why why can't you just receive treatment and live longer and she looks at him and she says i want to be me like i don't want to be like a you know a uh um i don't want to say dumbed down that's really not the the right word but like a doled down version of me and i thought that was so beautiful <laughs> when it comes to our choice to just let ourselves not fight that experience. So, you know, when you say she's the one that comes eat the children, I'm like, well, that makes sense to me. But I also work in the world where I believe that, you know, death is a part of birth. Loss is a part of birth. Loss is a part of life. Mm -hmm. And we have to recognize that there's a sacred soul contract for every single person on this planet that comes in and then has to go, um, even if they die early or they die in the womb um, or they pass before they're even formed. Um, but I think that, you know, my best friend really illuminated that for me when I was because I had a best friend that died at 20. Um, and I just had decided that she was now an earth angel. She had come into my life to teach me about love and now she was going to steward me on the other side. And, um, yeah, so mm. I could see how scary that would be for a lot of people, but I also recognize like the, the intricate mythos and mythologies and like, um, you know, search for meaning that humans constantly go on within their mind and their, their um, ideologies. Mm. She sounds well, scary and fascinating and intriguing all at once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the in Eastern Europe, the death houses where they would like keep the bodies. I don't know if they burned the bodies in them. I think they did. Mm -hmm. um, but they would be these large houses up on tree stumps on stilts that mm -hmm. looked a lot like chicken legs. Mm -hmm. And um, they would, like, put herbs and stuff in with the bodies to keep the animals away. Mm -hmm. um, and they were always out on, like, the edge of the forests at, like, the outskirts right. of the town. And it makes sense that Baba Yaga would be associated with that sort of stuff as, mm -hmm. like, a death steward. Mm -hmm. um and a spirit of death and helping with that transition as well like the mm -hmm. a big theme with baba yaga is the crossroads mm -hmm. um be it between life and death or like um inner and outer or any i mean i guess any pivotal moment in your life Right. Um, and really just being at that point at a crossroads between who you are before you make the decision and who you are after you make the decision. Mm -hmm. um, that liminal space that's created in all of those transitions mm -hmm. is where Baba Yaga meets you. Beautiful. So how did you end up working with Baba Yaga? Like, how did you end up awakening to her presence in your life 
Um, I think she's been around a lot longer than I even have ever consciously been working with her. I used to have specifically because I used to have dreams a lot as a kid where I would wake up. Maybe they weren't dreams. I don't know. I would appear to like, I would wake up and there would be this like massive, like scary, tall. I used to think it was a clown, but there was never any makeup. I just got that like scary clown vibe. Um, and, but it was always very big with like the long hair. And I would say maybe three or four times throughout my childhood, I would wake up and I would see it there and I would be so scared. I like would just close my eyes and go back to bed. Um, and I think in those moments, I think my grandmother was working with her as well, though we never had actual conversations about it. Um, and my mom doesn't know exactly who my grandma worked with other than like her accounts of like it being creepy and weird. And that was probably Baba Yaga in the house is my guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think she was around because like she was kind of already around in the family and the mm -hmm. Polish side. And I think they worked or at least, um, interacted told stories things like that um but as i got older and like out of college and really started like re trying to reconnect with myself and i went through a period of um really just intense anxiety and living basically outside of my body the entire time mm -hmm. and that's when I kind of started re-exploring how to relate back to like my environment and grounding practices and that um, practice of like five things you can see, four things you can hear and like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it progressed to like after trying and, oh, what's the phrase? Basically, after trying a whole bunch of things and seeing what stuck, I found the most connected and grounded when I was like walking in the woods or out in nature. Mm -hmm. um, so I started just loosely practicing uh, like awareness and mindfulness and making a point to get more out into nature. And as I did that, I like I also started to get into more of like my practice mm -hmm. and wanting to add missing that relationship, that conversation, because I hadn't quite connected that I could just talk to the earth yet. Mm -hmm. um, so I started playing around with researching like, Oh, what are earth goddesses? What are all of these things? And that's when she started to show up and talk to me again as an adult when Baba Yaga kind of returned. Um, and at the time I wasn't sure what it was. I was really nervous because she's got a really big energy and it can be very intimidating. And I thought that I was like one of these quote unquote new baby witches. And like I messed up and I 
opened my space to something I shouldn't have opened it up to. And now I had to like set some boundaries. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it turned out that once I stopped freaking out about it and was like, well, she's not leaving. She hasn't hurt me. I don't feel like unsafe. It's Mm -hmm. just very intimidating. Mm -hmm. Um, I would use my cards and I would talk with her and I have a deck of cards that I got from my grandmother that I try to learn to read. They're mostly just a deck of playing cards Mm -hmm. with like fancy symbols on the sides. Mm -hmm. But I started having conversations with the deck and through there just kind of learned more and really just started asking myself the questions and sitting with the feelings and going through the process of grief that comes with being human essentially and like changing Mm -hmm. and recognizing that you have to let go of a part of yourself that you thought you would be in order to become the thing that you you know you need to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really when my practice with Baba Yaga started was that, that grief process of sitting with those feelings and with like accepting all the parts of that change and what it meant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like you have a really strong ancestral connection to her and through the lineage of the women in your life. Um, And I feel like, you know, she's kind of been working with, I, If I could make an assumption about your lineage, I feel like I would assume that she's been working with women in your lineage specifically for hundreds of years. Um, And it's just like passed down (laughs) from granddaughter. I I feel like, you know, some some of these uh, archetypes or these divinities really come into our lives because they are ancestrally related, right? So um, I would imagine that, you know, the grandmother of your grandmother of your grandmother of your grandmother worked with this grandmother. She was like the original grandmother, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so funny you describe her as huge because when I see her in my mind's eye she's like four nine <laughs> so when you say huge I'm like oh my goodness I see her I, but maybe I mean, honestly it, she appears differently for a lot of different people and I was a little baby child mm-hmm. like cowering in bed and I think her energy was so big mm-hmm. that probably regardless of how I actually saw her. And of course I've taken these memories out and revisited them so often. I've embellished probably the way she looks every single time my brain refiles that memory. So <laughs> there's yeah, lots that of that. Makes sense. Yeah, I get that. I, I totally get that. It just, it's fascinating but, yeah. to describe her <laughs> because I'm like, I'm so intrigued and also like terrified all at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, um, you know, like, how did you end up working with her after having this relationship to the church? I'm quite fascinated because it seems like, you know, growing up in the church, it would, you know, this would vilify her. This would make her some sort of demon, if you will, um, if you were raised in 
uh, the Catholic Church. I would I would imagine that like connecting to her would feel like uh, a banishment of sorts or uh, condemned. I think that's the word I'm looking for. Hmm. So I, I feel like my family wasn't super involved in the Catholic church. I feel like I was probably the most involved out of my immediate family. Mm -hmm. Um, in that, like I was an altar server all through elementary school. We would go to like Sunday special, like the pre-K version of Sunday school. And then we had like catechism all through um, grade school and then I was on the peer ministry after I was confirmed so I was running and helping run a lot of the religious education classes and I felt at the time that like if I just learn enough if I get involved enough maybe I will find answers to my questions like maybe God will finally respond to me and like answer one of these questions that I've asked them. Um, mm. Most notably, like, where are you? Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> like, those are my two big questions. Um, but as far as like the church goes, I don't remember there being a lot of talk about like, bad things or like demons mm -hmm. or things like that um so i was never necessarily afraid of her in that sense but i also don't like go around advertising the fact that i'm like working with this <laughs> Right. Like it doesn't come up in conversation. Mm -hmm. So Unless there's definitely still like a, this is very different. <laughs> uh, and I remember being in college after like accepting the fact, like when I graduated high school was when I accepted the fact that like, I'm not going to find the answers I'm looking for at church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I just stopped attending church. I stopped going to church and I was staying with my grandparents in and out of college because they lived not too far away from where I went to school. And one weekend um, we were on our way to church. And I remember my grandma asking me why I didn't go to church anymore. And she goes, God gives you 24 seven and you can't give him one hour a week. And I'm like, I understand where this question is coming from, but are you telling me that you only talk to God for an hour a week? Right. I'm like, I'm outside all the time talking to my God. I don't feel him in church, so I don't attend church anymore. So powerfully and, said. And I met myself, like I met God when I went into nature and I met myself when I started working with Baba Yaga mm -hmm. and it never felt bad because I had already, I think, before I started working with her, recognized that, like, the answers the church are giving me aren't working for me. Mm -hmm. They don't, like, I don't have a relationship with that dude that I'm in the cardboard box on his kitchen table. Like, that's not the right guy. I have to talk to one of his friends. Yeah. 
Um, so I kind of always had that view, but I just had so many people telling me that this was the God that I was supposed to be able to connect to that. I was like, okay, well then why isn't he answering? Right. Um, but he was for like a bunch of other humans in his box. I'm just not one of his humans. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's important for us to make the distinction, the, the ways that we're told to connect and to relate to God versus what's actually intrinsically true for us. That's kind of the problem of creating a system where it's like, it's only this, because if you're on the outlier mm -hmm. of that, then you're alienated. And ultimately, that is the fundamental problem with every religion rooted in traditionalism. And that doesn't mean that tradition isn't accepted or wonderful, but that if your relationship to God isn't growing as the civilization transforms, then in my opinion, you're not actually working with God. You're working with a, a set of man-made tools. Um, mm -hmm. in order to access God, and that's not where God is. Um, but then, of course, right, we've had this whole fragment of, you know, we've divorced the mother from the father. And so just even the system of giving you uh, a male God and no female is mm -hmm. already a half-truth. Like that in its essence is already a half-truth. So you're given a half-truth and then accept you know, taught to accept it unconditionally, even though you know that there's something more out there. And I find it so fascinating that more, um, you know, more Christians or Catholics, if you will, don't question why, if, if you're told you're made in God's image, why there's no mother. I, mm -hmm. I just, I just can't get over that. Like if, if a mother and a father have sex and have a baby, then where's the mother and the father in the uh, in the divinity that creates the holy child, right? It's just it's just so fascinating to me that we've allowed ourselves to be deceived with this half truth. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of like the uh collective cultural paradigm that we get ourselves involved in um and i i'm trying to use those words um consciously with the intent to remind us that we can unplug ourselves from that narrative um when we so choose, that doesn't mean it's easy, but that we have to begin, you know, deconstructing and having these hard conversations, you know, with the people around us, like your grandmother. Um, mm -hmm. I've, I've talked to many people, you know, who have had to face these, uh, these truths within their family, my own partner, you know, um, I'm, of course, the witch to his family. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when, <laughs> when we got together, they were, they were basically afraid that I was like taking him down the path of the devil. And um, it's just fascinating to me that, that, you know, my work to them is so anti-Christian that they can't even recognize like the, the, the work that we're doing within our lives. Um, so it's all just fascinating to me that we keep, uh persisting these myths and these truths even though they're not actually entirely true <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So then I, this might sound like a really funny question, but I wonder like, what was the first thing that she said to you? <laughs> if you can remember oh my god um <laughs> or what was like the first moment where you were like oh my goodness I'm gonna listen to this woman well I feel like I can't remember the first thing she said to me because my first memory of like working with her is her just giving me the stern look <laughs> Oh, of yes. like just like the whole energy that is behind the are you being fucking for real right now face mm -hmm. um i get that energy a lot from her <laughs> when i'm not doing the things i said i was gonna do because i actually want the like results that they bring mm -hmm. um i I feel like it was a slow mix of like kind of knowing she was around but not knowing if she was here to like work with me or not um so I just started lighting a candle for her and it was when I like was having this idle conversation with myself and like trying to justify not doing whatever it was I was probably yet again justifying not doing my movement practice because I didn't want to move the feelings in my body because I didn't want to feel the feelings in my body. And that was when she like actively responded with that. Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> <laughs> that was, yeah, that was probably one of the first moments at the beginning where I was just like, okay, fine. And then I was like, oh crap, she answers. <laughs> yeah I can see that oh crap she answers <laughs> <laughs> yeah that makes sense you know I I find it to be really fascinating that we can even have this conversation because she's like allowed us to I feel like mm -hmm. she's so shrouded in mystery like and so shrouded in um in story and mythos that she's almost real to connect to and i feel like i see her coming back online for a lot of um i'm gonna say women specifically because i don't really work with yeah. men um but i feel like i see her coming back online for her daughters to remember who she is like i feel i feel this resurgence of the mother and all of her nations <laughs> looking to come back online to return homeostasis and equilibrium on this planet. And I feel like, um, you know, by you coming on here and talking about her, like she's effectively calling those who have desired to connect with her. Does that make sense? Yeah. She, um, she's definitely here to work with people who are like ready to actually commit to themselves right mm -hmm. um and i guess letting people know like recognizing also that we're in a moment where there's a lot of people really looking at themselves for the first time mm -hmm. like we had a lot of people presented with the opportunity for the first time in their lives what three years ago now when like everything closed mm-hmm 
And we've all kind of gone back to trying to make everything as normal as it was before. And then reckoning with the fact that like, oh, we noticed all these great things that we learned about ourselves when we were moving at a much slower pace. Mm -hmm. And now we're trying to reconcile that with what we were doing beforehand. And a lot of us are kind of wrestling with that cognitive dissonance of I'm supposed to be fine and going back to like everything. Like I could do this before. Why can't I do it now? And the process of unpacking that cognitive dissonance is like Baba Yaga is rooting for more of us and her energies are rooting for more of us to step up right. and realize that there's like another side. We don't have to just go back to the way it was. Right. Yeah. The circumstances have shifted and our world has effectively changed and our hearts are more open and our minds are more open. So I could see, you know, as you say that, how she's like holding this liminal space of inviting people to really transform into who they want to be now. Like we've been given mm-hmm. that taste Yeah. And revisiting like the big thing I get with the work that I do with her is like the magic in the mundane Mm -hmm. and how just our normal everyday routines when done with intention like that. That's all magic is. Yeah, definitely. And remembering to like have that intentionality when we do things and not just like the, the trendy mindset of like mindfulness where we journal for 10 minutes and that's the only time we have to be aware of what we're doing right like bringing that amount of awareness and presence to everything that you do Mm -hmm. is is the like that is the point Mm -hmm. yeah definitely Um, but building that resistance is definitely like a muscle like you can strain that muscle you can pull that muscle but you're also not going to grow that muscle unless you use it. Mm-hmm. In the um, in the eleven eleven calendar, we work with um, the Cloud Nation, who teaches us that uh, every activity is a whole reality, and I see that very often in my child. Because, you know, he's completely immersed in everything that he does, even if it's 10 seconds long. You know, mm-hmm. he he's like looking uh, inte- intently into whatever he's doing as a complete system and then moving on to the next complete system. And so I feel like, you know, that is the true mindfulness. I feel like we've been, again, given this half truth of um, meditation, mindfulness and prayer in that like are okay i'm excited here so i'm trying to like reel myself <laughs> back here i have a lot of i feel very passionately about this subject i think because i'm a mom now so like i can't separate anymore so we've been given this idea almost that like spirituality is separate from your quote unquote real life So that means that you need to lock yourself in your bedroom for two hours at a time, doing your yoga, doing your breath work, doing your mantra practice, and, you know, being devote to whatever practice you're doing. And then, then you go into the real world and you begin your real day. We'll say in quotes, right? But Mm -hmm. what I discovered from being a mother is that I can't afford to do that. 
I don't have enough hours in the day to separate my spirituality from my day in and day out life. I actually have to include my child and my spirituality and my mindfulness, which doesn't mean like, okay, so now I don't get, you know, 30 minutes. I shouldn't say I don't get it. I do get it at night, but I don't get 30 minutes in the morning uninterrupted to meditate anymore. Did I now pray with my child around or I move my body with my child around? We pull cards together. Mm -hmm. We set intentions for the day and we're mindful throughout the day, um, you know, because we live on a farm, right? When we pick when we pick fruits uh, and vegetables, we talk about, you know, saying a prayer um, to the plant spirit. And Mm -hmm. um, of course, he's just pulling it off anyway. He doesn't care about me yet, but um, (laughs) I still say it. You know, just so he can begin, you know, recognizing that. Because if I say it enough, it's going to become a program within him. Mm -hmm. And I would much rather program him with reverence than, you know, with chaos. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I I recognize that as a mother, I couldn't separate myself from my spiritual practice anymore. And actually, it was detrimental to him because then he wasn't seeing what spirituality was in an embodied way. Just like you said, you know, Mm -hmm. to your grandmother, you're only giving it hour of your time a week to go talk to God I'm talking to God all day every day and I see Mm -hmm. God very specifically through my child um, you know as this emanation of light that exists this little earth angel that we have and he guides me back into just how united the spiritual and physical worlds actually are Um, so I find what you're saying to be so in alignment um, with this idea that the mundane is the magic. And, you know, when I first became a mother, I had a little bit of resistance and resentment to the fact that I was a mother because I felt like I was taken away from my practice. I felt like I had been violated Mm -hmm. from my, you know, sacred meditation. And it took me a little bit to come back into the fact that like, no, actually, it's a gift that I can do this with this child, even if it's not perfect. And that, you know, really brought me into this space of, Um, losing any perfectionist or any feelings of like, well, this is how it has to be. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So I, I love that. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. So what does your work look like with her then? Um, lately, most recently I, it's been crochet. And Hmm. so she's also a weaver. Mm-hmm. Um, and doing the intentionality and kind of going back to a practice of prayer, but through crochet. And it looks a lot like not magic. It looks a lot like prayer shawls. It looks a lot like a lot of different things. Um, mm-hmm. So I can flavor it in a bunch of different ways, depending on my intention of what I'm doing. But it's a lot. It's really, I'll light a candle for her. And whatever it is that I'm trying to work through in that moment, I'll, it allows me a space to hold with compassion, the conversation that I'm having. Mm -hmm. And I'll put that compassion and those conversations into whatever it is that I'm crocheting. Beautiful. Um, 
and it's like a focus like in church we would use rosary beads mm-hmm. and i wasn't yet comfortable enough going like rosary beads never quite felt right to me because they held too much of something else in them like mm-hmm. i think for if i were to be talking more with um like mother mary mm-hmm. i would use rosary beads but they didn't feel right for of course. The, who i'm talking to now but it was that same like tactileness of being able to move through the beads and make those patterns and have those cycles and having like a tangible marker of the conversation as you're having it Mm -hmm. um and so the yarn and the crochet hook and all the loops upon loops upon loops provide a very similar process yeah of course definitely i could see that and you know when you described her in the beginning sound she reminded me a lot of the you know the fate weavers um that exist in almost every um every culture and every paradigm right so Mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense to me then you know how um knitting or crocheting would be a really powerful way to connect to her and for some reason i imagine um and maybe i'm making this up in my head but i would imagine that um you know women who work with the baba yaga might have been you know keepers of birth and death and for some reason I feel like I can see all these women creating shawls for the birth of a child or the death of the loved one that maybe Mm -hmm. they used you know in the death ritual and in the birth ritual Um, and again I could totally be making that up in my head but I wonder if I'm kind of connecting that back into um, you know here in the U.S. Uh, there's a a native tradition to give the star blanket to the baby. And so I I would imagine that, you know, you're actually stemming into this, um, like, ancestral remembrance of her, you know? Mm -hmm. It just seems right to me. (laughs) Well, and I, it wouldn't surprise me at all, Baba Yaga working with midwives and births, because mm-hmm. not only is that another major transition point and huge crossroads portal, mm-hmm. um, but there are like threads in the stories of like midwives keeping babies who were born slightly too early warm mm-hmm. in like the, the ovens in like the big bread ovens Mm -hmm. on like the side where there wasn't the fire and it was just warm and they'd take them in and out, in and out to keep them warm and regulated. Mm -hmm. Um, Morphing into the stories of Baba Yaga eating children. Right. And like cooking them in her stove and like the Hansel and Gretel stories. Mm -hmm. Um, Some believe that that witch is just a retelling of a Baba Yaga story. Um, or the German version of that story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so she finds her ways into many stories and traditions and folklores around like birth and death and children and all those major life points. And I mean, children are constantly going through like major life developments 
that's literally what childhood is it's like series upon series of major like human development mm-hmm. stage yeah. uh, so it doesn't surprise me either that baba yaga is associated with children mm-hmm. yeah i feel like she's almost like the one that like keeps the children in line if you will <laughs> she's like uh hello children this is how we act <laughs> this is how it is get out of my hut i will push you with my broom <laughs> so yeah. fascinating you know what's even more fascinating to me is that i've been um i bought uh lisa's book she runs the temple of divine radiance and um she's basically committed to restoring the abrahamic goddess and um, she talks about how in Mesopotamia, um, if there was a straw hut or on the side of the road, that was an indication that a priestess was there. And so I'm just very fascinated um, mm-hmm. in this overlay again of the Baba Yaga and the hut and how um, cross-culturally there is this relationship to the... I mean, I know we call her a witch, but I feel like a witch is really just a priestess um, or a shaman, shamaness, if you will. Uh, But there's this overlay of the hut. Like if you you see the hut, you know Mm -hmm. that there's someone in there to guide you through this crossroad, through this liminal space. And it's just, I'm just like consistently blown away the more and more that I um, do this work on re-threading the relationship between, you know, these, um, these, uh, these different cross-cultural, I want to say like goddess heads, if you will. I know that you said you don't Mm -hmm. um, deify Baba Yaga personally, but that others do. But what I, I, I guess I really see is like, you know, we could relate Baba Yaga to, and this is not in any way they're like based on their archetypes, but um, like Miriam, Moses's sister, right? She's not necessarily mm-hmm. deified, but she is recognized as this holy priestess of water. And so you can work with her energy to support you in moving your water bodies. Um, and so I find it to be so fascinating as I continue to talk to people on their relationship to God and the um, ancestors of divine light that are working with them who and how these threads really cross over and mirror each other. That's the most fascinating thing about, you know, doing um, this work on talking to people, uh, you know, for this podcast specifically is all the ways that these stories just intersect. Mm -hmm. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and the way that like stories were the first histories like that's Mm -hmm. how information was exchanged Mm -hmm. and so cultures would mix and their stories would mix and bits and pieces would mix enough that they became part of each other's stories Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah all of it it's 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 just also so fascinating because you know a lot of these stories have been taken either out of the church or have been, you know, uh, vilified by the church. Um, And so like a lot of these stories 
you know, have been kind of cast away as dark or wretched, if you will, and, um, you know, pushed to the side. And I find it so fascinating that a lot of us are beginning to um, experientially realize that there's a lot more to this liminal space that we have access to than we've been um, guided to believe uh, or, you know, um, journeyed into uh believing might hold scary implications. Does that make sense? Yeah. Liminal spaces in general can be unsettling. <laughs> yes. Like we we are just in general as humans compelled to be comfortable. Oh yeah. Uh, so to intentionally step into a space that is two things at once can be incredibly upsettling. Upsettling? Oh my goodness. Unsettling. <laughs> and like, it is, it's not like naturally a place where somebody would seek out typically. Mm -hmm. Like it's the same reason why people feel weird when they're in like a Walmart at 3 a.m. by themselves. <laughs> like there's a whole bunch of energy there. None of it is yours and you can't identify it. Mm -hmm. I, mean, yeah. I guess sometimes it's some of it is yours, but like not in a Walmart typically. Uh, <laughs> I can't. I can't even remember if there's a Walmart that's open at three a.m. anymore around me. It's kind oh, of I don't even know. That was just like the first weird liminal space example I could think of. It's but kind like, of funny airports, though. Like there's spaces mm -hmm. that, like in a, something like an airport is a close enough to a universal example I feel like or like um drive through rest stops on like in states like yeah. really late at night mm -hmm. yeah. um they're all places that have remnants of a ton of energy even right. if the people going there don't leave a lot like your you energy is left like by existing for a lot of people. And so with this, the sheer amounts of people walking through those places, like there are signatures that are left. There are remnants yeah. of that energy and you'll walk into it and you'll feel it. And it's like just mildly upsetting because <laughs> you aren't really sure where it's coming from. Right. But when there's enough of it, you like get this vague sense that something's there that you can't see. And like, there is something there that you can't see, but it's not going to hurt you. Yeah, that's like all of New England to me. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> it's like how I feel when I show up to New England. I'm like, what timeline am I in? Where have I landed? <laughs> well, like I lived in Lexington, Massachusetts for a couple of years recently. I mean, I don't even live that far away now, but... It was so strange walking through that town at first that still keeps like the historical aspect of it really fresh. Mm -hmm. Like the historical tours, like the Battle of Lexington was there. Mm -hmm. And it was like walking through the parks at night, I would have to stop for a moment and like remember that I'm at a place that regularly revisits its battle history. Right. And, like, that's why it can be ups unsettling at times. Like, I'm in this very safe neighborhood. 
like, why do I feel like some real dark stuff happened here? Because some real dark stuff did happen there. Right. That's how it feels in Gettysburg when we visited. And it's also, it fe- almost feels like Gettysburg perpetually has fog. I don't know how to explain that. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I definitely can identify with that. And also, you're like inspiring this thought of how rude it kind of is that we keep reliving that in that space. Like, do those spirits, like, I would imagine that those spirits of the earth want rest. Like, they're like, hey, come on re-traumatizing us consistently can we just move through this <laughs> yeah there are very outspoken trees in on the battle green um which have they're very new trees relatively even to the history of lexington because of the way that modern society does re-landscaping for a lot of things but it's it is funny though to be walking by and like getting the vibe from all of the plants and flora around and being like why are they still doing this right right it reminds me a lot of um lord of the rings you know where the trees are like we don't go into battle and then of course they choose to go into the battle but um (laughs) It's like, you know, the trees have historically been uh, peaceful keepers of ancient knowledge. And so, like, when they're involved in that, it can be really difficult for them because it hurts their um, higher heart to experience the pain and the suffering of humans around them. Um, So I could really see that. And I could also imagine that just just keeping that frequency as the dominating frequency would also allow for, um, I would say, malignant or malevolent entities to kind of feed on whatever high energies still exist there, Uh, which, again, I feel like would be under Baba Yaga's um, scope of practice because she could banish that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) so essentially i feel like i'm just naming all of your gifts now (laughs) (laughs) yeah wow i find it so fascinating you know we're having this conversation because um you know i feel like i i mean that seriously you know i feel like i'm kind of reflecting back on your own sacred gifts that you're here to offer the world um, and I feel like this, you know, frequency that you're carrying is is really powerful for where you actually are, because I'm not, you know, I'm not kidding. New England, mm-hmm. New England has a, a serious vibe to it. And anytime I was in Boston, I can feel the intersection that Boston is um, as a hot spot, an energetic hot spot. And uh, I love Boston. Like, it's a great place. And I also um, find it to be like one of the most multi-dimensional parallel realities that exist in our um in our country specifically so uh, i feel like you're really carrying a deep transmutation medicine that massachusetts as a whole really needs from you yeah connecting to this grid in these neighborhoods is very different from when i lived in vermont Mm -hmm. Um, 
because even in Burlington, which is like one of the biggest cities in Vermont, th there's still space. There's still land. There's still like people enjoying the parks and respecting the area. Um, I feel like a lot of the conversations I have with the earth here are like apology. Like I, yeah. I am just apologizing for what it has to deal with being this populated with people who are not taught to respect their environment. Right. I feel that in Maine, even though it wasn't about how many people are there because Maine is fairly unpopulated for how huge it is, but I could feel the, the pain that that land was really experiencing in how it was treated around the similar time, you know, that we're talking about now, you know, Maine was used as a huge logging industry for um, creating ships and uh, homes mm -hmm. and really used for um, its resources and then kind of abandoned, if you will, uh, because it's a harsh climate and territory. And so um, I just really identify with what you're saying because I felt like that's, that's kind of like a leading frequency that's being held in Maine. Um, although I didn't feel that when I was in Vermont briefly or even really kind of in New Hampshire. Like I don't feel that heaviness in New Hampshire either, which is what's so fascinating about, you know, being able to move through all of these states localized in what we call New England. <laughs> mm -hmm. And how every state has like its own general frequency and its own ley line that's really running through. Um, it's just, it's, you know, it's state of being. Yeah. So it's just I so fascinating. I'm the most connecting to the ground here. Mm -hmm. um, like just as a practice, because my mm -hmm. practice has been much stronger in a sense that it's been more consistent mm -hmm. since living in Massachusetts versus when I was in Vermont. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of affects it a little bit too. But yeah. For the first time, I had lived in one place for longer than a lease term. So I was mm -hmm. at one apartment for three years. And then I was at, when I was in Lexington, I was there for two or three years. Mm -hmm. um, and to be able to actually, like, form a relationship and a familiarity with the place that I was living was huge for me mm -hmm. um that's when i started um taking care of like house plants <laughs> because then i could at least um like if i couldn't take the land with me i could yeah. still take this relationship to nature with me mm -hmm. and i didn't feel like i had to go through this huge breakup every time i had to move yeah i know what you mean by that <laughs> Oh my goodness, I feel that. <laughs> yeah, it took me an entire year being in the place I am now before I was able to fully mourn the fact that like I wasn't living at where I was in Lexington anymore. Like we were on the bike path. 
we had been there for a very long time. Um, my partner's family had a big relationship with that land because um, we were living in his grandfather's house. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I had formed a very deep relationship with that backyard. Mm -hmm. And then moving from that was like, like I, I hadn't fully recognized how much of an emotional attachment I had to that area until I moved. And I was like, I, I had to grieve the relationship that I lost with that land. And it's made me hesitant to, like, it made me really hesitant to form a relationship with the apartment I'm living in now. Mm -hmm. um, and it was wild to consider. Like, that was the most recent big grief transition that I feel like Baba Yaga really helped me through. Beautiful. Um, I wouldn't ever tell anyone to forego making a connection to where they're living, but it can be difficult when you know that you're moving so much. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I really identify with that because RJ and I spend a lot of time on the go and um, I feel like I both simultaneously crave uh, physical stability while also like needing you know some locational freedom <laughs> as it <laughs> comes into my heart but um you know I, I just really identify with what you're saying because I've gone back and forth with the land that we're living believing like maybe we should be somewhere else maybe we shouldn't be here but then after three years we're still here like we might not be on the same property that we first moved to when we came here, but it seems like mm -hmm. this place just keeps keeping us, you know? Um, and so I, I, I go through this cycle, if you will, of like grief of, okay, we have to leave here. And then joy of like, okay, I'm not leaving here. And it's, it's probably one of the craziest experiences I've ever worked with because I, I wonder, you know, I sometimes wonder where's my place. And I keep coming back to this idea of like the, my place is where I am now. There's no other place than that, than where I am right in this moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that matters most. So I might as well just go offer my blood to the earth and give my herbs back to the earth and give prayers to where I'm at and also show up for the people that are here. Uh, and so that's kind of been how I've been handling my life here in the last year is like really showing up for community, really showing up for land, really showing up for the joys that this place offers, because I know if I don't do that, then I will grieve um, the loss of it whenever we are ready to move out of here. Um, I experienced mm -hmm. that when we lived in Pacific Grove. We lived 10 minutes from the ocean at night. I was serenaded to sleep by the seals. Um, Amazing. And yeah, every morning we would get up, we'd take the dogs out, we'd go for a walk down to the beach, we would put our feet in the sand, and then we'd go home. And then I I feel like I never really allowed myself to enjoy that. You know, it was kind of like going through the motion, which sounds really crazy when you, when you hear that out loud, because it felt a lot like getting in the car and going to work. And I don't mean mm -hmm. to diminish that in any way, but it was just part of the routine. So it wasn't like I was actually spending time really 
allowing myself to experience that. And then when we were forced to leave, our house sold. And, um, you know, Pacific Grove is extremely expensive and extremely competitive that my Mm -hmm. partner and I just decided we wouldn't, we weren't going to struggle in order to stay somewhere. Um, So we left and both him and I have gone through a huge grieving process, um, leaving that behind and letting it go and allowing it to, you know, just really be what it is. And so now we've rededicated ourselves to really appreciating what's in front of us versus like looking at, you know, what's coming next, Um, which again goes back to that idea of honoring the magical and the mundane and really being being mindful and present for what is here available for you now. Mm-hmm. Oh, also important. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Elle. I appreciate you so much for coming on here today um, and talking, you know, about Baba Yaga and this experience and your own, you know, awakening and uh just your just you and your sacred relationship thank you it was it was good to have this conversation it's not like it's a normal conversation that you have like casually with people so it was really (laughs) fun to kind of dive deep and talk about things (laughs) oh I'm so glad how can we work with you Elle um so I'm on Instagram as L at l.up.in.there, T-H-E-I-R. Um, and I do, right now my books are closed. I am on an email basis of like talking on setting anything up. But I do uh, Reiki healings. Sometimes it's with Baba Yaga. Sometimes it's with the earth. Sometimes it's, uh, I do money Reiki. Sometimes it's a money session. Um, And yeah, I like to help you get through those big questions Mm. and giving you the tools to help you answer them for yourself. Do you have any mentorship opportunities for people that are, you know, really looking to ground into the earth and understand their own initiation phase and you know just what they're really going through um in a similar vein i don't have any programs up right now um i do have like i am working on getting some more solidified so by the beginning of next year by january 2024 i'm hoping to have all of that laid out so i can start offering like structured mentor packages are slightly more structured um but i am available to work one-on-one again through email asking if like figuring out something on a one-on-one basis mm-hmm. yeah makes um, sense. but i took a step back from the business building of things for a while so the programs aren't quite up and like ready to just go apply to mm-hmm. uh, yeah. but i am I do have open availability to work with one-on-one clients in any capacity that they may need, whether it's just the Reiki sessions, whether we mix Reiki and coaching together. um, Those are on like a one-on-one a la carte basis right now, we'll say. 
Got it. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> I'm just so interested to see, you know, what really comes through for you in 2024, our collective eight year. I think it will be really wonderful. So mm. um, I will, of course, put all of your contact info in the show notes. So if anyone wants to get a hold of Elle, um, you will know how to reach her. And if you're um, interested in her work, I really um, encourage you to follow her online and uh, yeah just be here for the unfolding of your magic so again thank you Elle I appreciate you so much for being here with me and taking the time to have this conversation um, it was wonderful thank you it's great to be here <laughs>